Hello and welcome to the Talent Blueprint, your guide to building a company where talent comes first. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery, the talent lifecycle management platform that helps organizations hire candidates faster, develop the skills of their workforce, and increase employee retention. Hello and welcome everyone to this week's installment of the Talent Blueprint. I am your host, Sultan Saidov, and today I am super excited to welcome a very mission-aligned guest, Darren Pierce, the VP and Group Head of Recruitment at National Grid. Now, one of the reasons I'm excited to have Darren here on the episode today is the types of initiatives and awards that Darren's already been well known for, not just in his time at the National Grid, but in previous roles when he was uh, director of Australia's first technology and digital training academy that won a Tech Diversity Foundation Merit Award in his roles at Kraft Heinz, where they've won over 15 industry awards, including for L&D programs and development programs. Now, for those of you who know us at Beamery, we've been on a mission to create equal access to work, skills and careers, and have been driving for these types of outcomes. And it's always really exciting to speak to folks who've been on this journey in different ways. So Darren, I'd love to, with this broader set of careers and milestones in mind, just get a story about you and you know, the roles you've had at Kraft Heinz, Australia, Telstra, some of the highlights that you've had. Sure. Thank you, Sultan. I'd love to spend some time with you today. My careers that have been a bit, I wouldn't say accidental, but has just grown quite, quite organically into saying yes to opportunities. I think my upbringing was quite academic. I was sort of on track to doing a, a PhD at university and I realized I loved teaching, but I didn't enjoy the research. I taught for a couple of years at university back in Australia and I, and I loved it. It was one of the best things I did, but I realized I didn't want to go into the research. And then I made a jump into sort of the corporate side, the dark side, what the academic service at the time, going into EY at management consulting, which I, where I learned a lot. Talk about working 120 miles an hour. That is working in management consulting and realized that after that, I love sort of being part of a business and really embedded in a business and sort of seeing things through end to end, which sometimes you don't really get to see in consulting. So I made a jump uh, into a HR journalist role at Telstra. Telstra sort of being the BT of Australia, which I learned a lot there. I learned sort of what best practice HR look like and what a seamless HR function could look like. I think Telstra did a fantastic job to inject millions and millions of dollars at the time to build quite seamless connectivity when it came to HR processes and systems, which was just made life quite easy as a HR journalist and a business partner, where you can add the value to the business on the strategic elements, which I, I loved doing. And then from that, I then got a call from a former leader. I worked with at EY to come and work at Australia Post. I was just given a mandate by the CIO, go build me the best early careers program that Australia Post can build for technology and digital. So had some of the bank check-ins and free reign to build something where I can help the CIO future-proof his workforce, which was a really exciting project that I did. And then I was very fortunate enough with the work that I did there, it expanded across, I got to do that across the entire organization, looking at sort of early careers and mid-level careers. So that's where my interest in talent came into. I sort of fell into, into talent, but I think what I enjoyed about it was around, I get to sort of grow people, grow careers, help create careers for people that they wouldn't have thought they could do or they could have dreamt of doing. And then I got another tap on the shoulder at Kraft Heinz to come and join them. They needed to rebuild their talent function in Australia. It was one of those things I love to jump into things where 
take a messy challenge and go in it. And that was what Craft Times at the time had, you know, really poor glass door ratings, very high turnover. And the CEO and the CPO at the time just wanted to build a really great culture of transparency and just give people the, the notion that they own their careers. I think sometimes people go, oh, you know, it's up to my leader or all these external factors, whereas, you know, when it comes to you, your career, you own it. And um, Craft Hines, one of the things that we did that I was very proud of, we created a culture of transparency around, we will tell you where you stand, but it's up to you to decide what you want to do with that information, how you want to grow your career. So that's something I fundamentally believe in. So the biggest legacy I left there was around, we told people sort of where they stood when it came to their talents. Are they a high potential, high performer? And then what they did with that information, I think was really powerful. Now coming into international grid, like I'm here to help build a best in class recruitment function. That's the mandate I've been given by our chief people officer, Will Searle. So on this amazing journey, we're getting great people with a clear agenda around, we need a best in class recruitment function. I'm very clear at national grid, what we're going to build for the next 10 years. We have the opportunity that we're very clear around what we're going to do. So I need to make sure I've got a really amazing recruitment team that can help deliver on that. So my career, my journey, my life has just been about saying yes to things, taking on big challenges, working with great leaders that I can learn from and having fun along the way. I love it. Well, I also love the connected thread between your earlier foray into future-proofing workforces and your later ones of helping employees understand where they are and where they go because in practice that's two sides of the same coin it's important when organizations think about these uh, topics particularly in this recent recessionary environment how much of your organizational resilience doesn't come from how you hire or how you plan but how you enable talent to self-identify opportunities and develop themselves i'd love to dig into this in the context of uh, national grid how does the recruiting and development function work i've read before about some of the skill centricity that you've been trying to introduce. So we'd love to look at some of the initiatives that you've been putting in place and some of the challenges you're facing so far. Sure. I look after recruitment specifically, um, performance and the development side sitting in a sort of a separate area. But like right now, the recruitment function works. It's quite traditional how it operates at the moment. What I'm trying to build is a recruitment function that's quite proactive in terms of finding the talent ourselves. I think we're still in a market where you need to find the talent top talent want to be found, need to sell them the opportunity to come and, and work whatever company you're selling or recruiting the roles for. The transition we're sort of working on at the moment is making sure we have the right tools and systems in place where our recruiters are able to practically find the talents. And then with that, by having that tech in place to help find the top candidates, it then allows my recruiters to spend more time at the hiring managers, think more forward because National Grid is one of those places where we know what we're going to do for you know, the next five to 10 years. It's very clear. You know, many of you have heard of the great grid upgrade that you can see all over the UK in terms of what we're going to be building to help safeguard our electricity transmission network. So with that, we can go with how many engineers do we need in the next five years? How many um, project managers will we need? So with that, with that proactive nature, that data we have, we can then spend more time at the hiring managers to go, okay, how does that affect you in the long term? We have been somewhat transactional in the past, but what our hiring managers want, what the business needs, actually want more time with recruitment and they want, my recruiters want more time to be able to sort of be proactively sourcing. This is the first time sort of a head of recruitment also has sat on the people leadership team here at, at National Grid as well. So elevate the importance from a CEO and a CPO perspective that recruitment is the most important thing we'll do as an organization. 
It can help change the culture, the people, the performance, what we deliver. So I always sort of say to people, you're going to prioritize something, prioritize recruitment because you're going to hire the right person right front. What it will do for you in the long term, you'll be able to sleep easy at night is how I see it. It's a... Interesting how whilst you look after recruiting and, as you said, development and so forth is is in a different uh, part of the business, in practice, by hiring for potential and having this alignment with hiring managers, you're actually recruiting in a way that thinks ahead into how you're going to find the types of people that are going to develop and and future-proof in a certain way. So in some ways, you're looking after the future workforce, not just getting people through the door. And I think that's really interesting uh, in in a number of ways. One of which is, you know, traditionally hiring manager and talent acquisition collaboration has been difficult in a lot of businesses for a number of reasons. One of which is it's difficult from a tooling standpoint, you know, where do people collaborate? How do people collaborate? It's difficult from a data standpoint, you know, how do we have the right alignment on skills and jobs and who's making those decisions? I imagine this kind of concept of how do we move towards hiring for skills and development involved a lot of deep diving into the principles of what are we hiring for and and also I imagine you know the tooling the process and other things changing what have been some of the changes you've you've thought about first and and what what are you thinking about next I think number one I think first of all is around having tooling that'll help us look for skills I think right now um, our the systems that we sort of have is quite traditional where the recruiting is have been a lot of time digesting and sort of analyzing an individual CV. So having something that can triangulate the data to then tell us, right, these are skills people have. Because then once you start hiring for skills, that's when you can start hiring for breadth as well. So like for me as a leader or as a hiring manager, I always, when I interview a candidate, I look at that this person can do one role, but what are the eight or nine different roles can they do? Can I see them being promoted five or six different times? That's how you create great careers. I think with most organizations, people don't need to leave the organization. I think people often leave poor leaders than the organization and the leader's job is to help unlock those opportunities, those those career goals in consultation with the individual. So saying, this is what I want to do, how I want to get there. But right now, without tooling that can triangulate that information, right now it's up to a very seasoned interviewer to be able to go, what can I pick out and test out? There's obviously a lot of biases that come into that and a lot of preconceived notions. So right now we're on the journey of finding some technology that can help triangulate that information for us. And that's how you can hire for skills, because then also as well, I think utilities often tend to hire from utilities. I didn't come from utilities. A lot of our executives that we've hired recently have also new to utilities. I'm one of those people that quite industry agnostic. You can learn different things from different industries. And that's when you hire for skills, you're able to do that. And that also then brings a lot of diversity um, in all forms. Everyone's got a DEI agenda. It's very important. And it's great to see the elevated importance it's had in the last you know, five or six years. But a key way to do that is, is for hiring for skills. That's when you actually open up the funnel more and become more inclusive. Couldn't agree more. And it's amazing to see how much in the last couple of years we've been able to get broader industry recognition of the value of not hiring for degrees, not just because of how much that opens up the funnel of talent that you could speak to, but because of this principle you're touching on. And it's actually a key to why we started Beamery. The ability to hire and develop for skills does create fairer outcomes. It solves for you know what is uh, traditionally seen as the, the birthplace lottery as well. How has the role of the recruiter changed in your teams with this set of principles in mind? Because it's cross-cutting, right? You're hiring for inclusion, you're assessing differently, you're defining roles differently. And you've touched a little bit on you know the collaboration elements and the, the tooling elements and the interview elements. 
But when you think about hiring for potential in your own team and developing the, the TA function, what, what have been some principles and changes we've been looking at there? Sure. I think the first of all is having a sourcing function that we're looking to implement within National Grid to allow us a centralized team that can focus on practically sourcing talent and also finding existing talents as well, which then allows the recruiter to spend more time with the hiring manager, understanding their business and their needs and their future needs, but also to then go, what kind of people does the hiring manager need to future-proof their function, but also what gaps they might have as well and leadership gaps. Because in a perfect world, you won't be able to hire people early on in their career. You sort of in them to have four or five different roles soon after that, and then prepare them for their first leadership role. But then sometimes not everyone has the bandwidth for leadership and that's okay. We don't need everyone to be a leader and go through upper a vertical pathway. Careers are, they're organic. They're a bit of a, like a water slide. It's the best way to describe it. So I think that's where I would like recruiters to be is around getting really deep into the business, understanding what capabilities the business have, what the gaps are, what are the leadership gaps, and then taking that information to then go hire for that and, and then brief a sourcing team to then go, right, like this is what the gaps are in the business. This is where you need to then go and source and find this talent for us and then fill the gaps that we need. Because as most of us know, most organizations adopt a buy, borrow, build strategy and a lot of the times we often go straight to a buy strategy to go buy the talent because that can be quite a quick thing because people learn from leaders. Like in my entire career, I've, I've spent most of my time learning from really good leaders. So by having a really good, strong leader that has great technical expertise, but has the bandwidth and the inspirational approach to leading teams, like people will learn a lot more through a fantastic leader. So this is where by having a recruiter who understands that the change that someone can make can be quite powerful and quite impactful. Our chief people officer says like, no, there's nothing more, more important than recruiting, but also it's such a privilege to be able to be able to change the culture through the people. And that's what recruitment does. I love the connection of going deep into the business and thinking about how to help construct hiring plans with the perspective of what is happening to current, the current team in mind. How does this touch on more traditional principles of looking at you know, team composition, succession planning? It sounds like from what you're describing that part of the conversation isn't just to say, hey, here's a bunch of jobs, let's be smarter about how we hire for them, but a, hey, let's look at the types of people we brought in who might need to transition, should we pre-plan which roles might need to open up, which is, of course, the, the holy grail of thoughtful workforce planning and also thoughtful succession planning into hiring. So how have you been zooming in on these uh, in-business considerations in terms of your uh, pipeline creation goals and so forth? I think it's around how we assess our people as well. I think right now we're quite traditional as an organization, how we assess for talent. And I think where I want to be able to head as an organization is that we're bringing people in with depth and breadth, which means that they, these are the individuals who can do five to six, seven different roles. And something that I'm a huge fan of around is learning agility. So these are the people who can take on what they've done in the past, apply that to the future, and how quickly can they recover from the mistakes and the things that have failed and move on. So I'm all for bringing in learning agility as a, as a fantastic assessment to be able to judge for this. Because once you have that baseline, you know how agile someone is and to what extent can they be flexible and malleable into different things. I think that people are quite comfortable around, can you do the job for now, but can you do five or six different jobs down the track? I think that's something that we're all still trying to learn how to assess, but learning agility is something that I've used in the past where you can see 
someone's learning agility assessment and what they've been able to do in the future based on their assessment from the start has been quite magical to see. So that's something I'm a huge advocate of and looking to sort of bring in here. How do you look at internal employees when you think about filling open roles? So presumably if you're you know, hiring for learning agility, there's also an appetite for internal mobility as part of the way in which you're developing people and hiring for that sort of opportunity. How have you been approaching enabling the TA function to consider you know, what happens after you hire? Are there cases where you pre-plan internal mobility? Are there cases where you source internally first? And how's that evolving? Yeah, I mean, National Grid has a really strong culture of internal mobility, which is fantastic. A large proportion of our roles are advertised internally. Having said that, though, there's an element where we need to also decide what recruiters as part of where I want recruiters to sort of head down is like, what is the appropriate sourcing strategy for each role and vacancy? There'll be some roles where we should definitely go internally because you know, we have a fantastic pool of early careers, talent coming through the pipeline that they would be good to move into these certain roles. But then also we need to be very open and frank about where are actually are the gaps and where do we need to go by the talent externally. But I think one thing that I'm proud about National Grid is we're a very long tenured organization and most people have careers between 10 to 35 years tenure at National Group, which is great to see with low turnover, high engagement. Um, it's, a, it's a really great place to work. So we have a really great culture of it. I think it's more around now having recruiters working with the HR business partners and hiring managers to go, great, this is the makeup of our internal talent. These are the skills our internal talent have. What are the gaps? And let's then go fill for those gaps. Otherwise, you've got the existing talent internally. That, you know, internal talent is always a preference because they know the business, they know the stakeholders, they know how things work, which means then they're able to come up to speed quicker. But then there are times when you need to go external and it's about having those conversations to go, when do we go internal? When do we go external? And why and how do we source practically for that talent? Absolutely. And also to, to your point uh, earlier, what is the best way by telling people where they are today, how to consider where they might head, how they might develop themselves? You know, one of the things we're seeing emerging now is organizations thinking about their future workforce strategy, you know, that three to five year set of plans and considering that if we know or suspect that certain roles are going to evolve and require new skills, and if we know that certain roles might open up that we haven't hired for before, how do we provide employees with that transparency as well as provide recruiters with that view so that we can pipeline in advance um, so that we can consider how do we align our recruiting and mobility experiences with those longer term strategies? How have you been thinking about that longer term time horizon and aligning with business leadership around, you know, where things might be at National Grid five years from now and how do we incorporate that into our plans today? I would say we're a business that can do strategic workforce planning quite well because we know what we're going to do for the future, which is a really privileged position to be in because a lot of organisations can't. It's all dependent on consumer demand, which can be quite tricky. Customer taste can change very quickly, whereas we know what we're going to do for the foreseeable future. And then we can also see what new roles will come, what new roles may be going to change. So with this way, you can sit with the business leader and be quite deliberate and proactive and have these conversations to go, right, this is what's going to come in the next two, three years. This is what you're not going to need. I think it's not to oversimplify, but as an organization, we've done the hard work up front over the last couple of months to get to a place where for the next 10 years, we can have some really open conversations around what we need to do with our people. Whereas this is probably the first organization where I've worked out where we can comfortably do that. In the past, you know, you're almost just looking to a crystal ball to go, are we going to need this? Are we not going to need this? Because we have all the data up front around what we need. It's all about having really frank, honest, open conversations with leaders and around you know what you need, how are we going to help you execute it? 
it's definitely a rare position to be in to have such an alignment of longer term goals. I imagine the opportunity then is to create a tighter alignment on the shorter term, you know, the next year in terms of predictability, like how likely are we to hire or fill certain roles based on the things that are priorities for managers? How do we think about things like risk of things being unfilled? Are those types of concepts you're looking at or is, are there other things on your sort of top wish list for what can we improve next? I think for me, it's the thing that's front of mind for me is around, I want to be able to bring the best talent international grid that have great breadth and great depth. Because then once I've got that in, that talent are the ones that will be able to easily fill into my strategic workforce plan and what roles we're going to need for the next five to 10 years. So right now for me, my primary focus is around having a recruitment function that is going to be proactively sourcing left, right and center so that A, we can get shortlists very quickly to hiring managers because the way I see it, the longer a role is vacant, the higher the business impact that has on a hiring manager on in their teams. So it's about my recruiters having the tools, having the capability to get people in the door quicker and people who are going to have the breadth and depth and the learning agility to do what we need to do as an organization for the next 10 years. And then to have my recruiters having the headspace to be able to then have the strategic conversations, get deep into the business, understand the capabilities that there. So then they can sit alongside the HRBP and be united front of the business. Because I see the HRBP recruiter relationship being the most important one in a HR team or any organization because the recruiter brings the people in. The HRBPs then maintain, develop and grow that individual in conjunction with the hiring manager. So the sooner I can get to that state where recruiters are seeing alongside if they are starting to now which is good but in a place where my recruiters know exactly what's going on in the business alongside the hrbp that is going to be super powerful to a hiring manager to know that they've got a solid people team to stand on that they know they can deliver what they need to be done absolutely is there anything else that you think you know on the horizon of technologies that might be coming or things that you're excited about trying out that you think might make a difference in, in your ability to create these, you know, world-class candidate experience and world-class hires? Sure. I think for me, like the way I sort of say that like, is that 90-95% of the recruitment process can be automated. It's about getting those so low-value tasks out of the mix so that our recruiters can spend the time actually having the really rich, honest conversations with candidates, with hiring managers. I think that's what gets me up in the morning, speaking to candidates and to hiring managers, speaking to leaders around what the future requirements are for their businesses. Because for me, the end goal of all of this is about creating the best leaders. As a leader myself, I judge a leader on the quality of their teams. Because when you become a leader, it's less about you, it's more about the people you need to grow. And leadership is sort of what takes the organization forward. So with all of this in here, I took this role and why I'm passionate about what I do. It's about creating great leaders. So having the information around agility, breadth, the knowledge of the business, that helps me and my team go and create that. So for us to be able to do that, it's about how do we then automate and get all those administrative tasks out of the way in recruitment so then we can actually go and have there's really value to add interesting and inspiring conversations around creating leaders for the future. I think that comment on uh, judging people by the quality of their team is a, is a fascinating one. And I think the principle of how do you think about what people spend their time on? You know, you gave two examples there. As a leader, you should be spending your time on empowering your team. And as a TA person, you should be spending your time with talent. I think so much in the broader human resources space has become increasingly less human over the last few decades. 
and process-centric as opposed to people-centric. And I think it's an amazing opportunity for talent teams to be able to actually get the non-human pieces to be automated and focus on speaking to candidates and doing the things that technology can't do as well. And interestingly enough, the conversation around skills versus what you said earlier about uh, learning agility is a perfect example. Technology can help infer and screen for skills. You need people to think about other components like learning agility, grit, and other components of what makes talent successful. And I think finding that balance isn't just going to save people time. It's going to allow us to really zoom in on the candidate fit and, and employee opportunities much better. I just wanted to touch on your um, comment about grit. I think Angela Duckworth has done some fantastic studies on this around when I launched the Australia Post Technology Academy many years ago. It was a program I was really proud of because we actually didn't ask for any CVs. We actually tested people solely on grit and resilience and learning agility. And the candidates that sort of came through and were successful, the program came from all walks of life. We had people as young as 18 up to sort of, you know, in their mid fifties, all career changes, return to work parents and the like. And Grit is one of those things where it's like what gets you up a better you know, time and time again to keep pushing forward. And it's something that I'm a huge fan of because once you add learning agility, grit into the mix with good leadership behaviors, like you've got a really powerful employee and I don't think we do enough of it. Darren, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. It's been a really insightful conversation and uh, excited to see how you uh, keep evolving in this potential centric journey that, uh, that you're on at the National Grid. Thank you, Sultan. Thank you for your time. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery, the talent lifecycle management platform that helps organizations attract, retain, redeploy, and develop the skills they need. Learn more at Beamery.com.